I would like to invite our speaker, or introduce our speaker this morning. She's a Foundry favorite. Josie Barton is going to be speaking to us this morning. And if you don't know Josie, she's been around from the beginning. She was part of the planting team uh, that planted the Foundry. She was a worship director. She's been speaking on and off throughout the years. So um, give our Josie a warm welcome. Well, good morning, everyone. So happy that you are here with us this morning. So happy to be here with you this morning. Like Liza said when she oversold me, my name is <laughs> Josie Barton. Um, and in my humble opinion, Aladdin is far and away the best Disney prince. And I'm going to tell you why, okay? First, Aladdin is the prince that we all deserve, romantically speaking. The prince and the partner we deserve, right? The very first time that Aladdin ever sees Jasmine, he says, and I quote, wow. Then he gets arrested for kidnapping her. That's when he finds out that she's a princess. But he's not sitting shackled in a dungeon going, oh man, I can't believe this girl. No, he's beating himself up for looking like an idiot in front of this incredible, amazing woman. When, in the same dungeon, a creepy old man offers him the chance to win Jasmine's hand if he's willing to walk into the mouth of a giant talking sand tiger, he doesn't even hesitate. So romantically speaking, Aladdin can't be beat. There's a note here. Except for by my husband, Trevor, who is very romantic also. But there's another reason that I like Aladdin. And it's because he's just so scrappy and smart, right? He's a survivor. And nowhere do we see this more than when he uses his smarts to trick the genie into rescuing him from the giant talking sand tiger that I mentioned earlier. So at one point, Aladdin and his little monkey friend Abu find, find themselves buried in this sand tiger. Luckily, though, they have this lamp, and as Aladdin goes to clean the lamp, a genie pops out and says, hey, I'm going to grant you three wishes. This is when he sings, oh, you never had a friend like me. That's the song, okay? But he also tells him that there are limitations to these wishes. There are things that he cannot do. He cannot bring anyone back from the dead. He can't make anyone fall in love, and he can't harm anybody. Now, Aladdin, being the clever, scrappy guy that he is, shares a sneaky little look with his monkey, and then says, limitations on wishes? Some all-powerful genie. Come on, Abu, we'll find our way out ourselves. Well, the genie does not like this. He sets out to prove that he is all-powerful and he can do anything, and he poofs Aladdin and Abu right out of their sandy grave. It's only after rescuing Aladdin, though, that the genie realizes Aladdin never actually wished 
to get out of the cave. He had tricked the genie, gotten himself rescued, and still had all three of his wishes intact. As a kid, I can remember thinking Aladdin was so smart for tricking the genie like this. He used his brain, he used his words, his knowledge of human nature to wrap the genie around his finger and get him to do exactly what he wanted him to do. Sometimes I wonder if I like Aladdin so much because I see some of myself in him. Maybe not the romantic stuff, I apologize, but definitely the tricking the genie stuff. Except for me, I'm not trying to use my smarts to save my wishes and trick a genie. It's that I'm trying to figure out how and when and what to pray to make sure that this all-powerful God that I believe in acts like a genie and just gives me what it is that I want. Now, logically, I know that God is not a genie here to grant my every wish. Like I understand that I can't trick him into answering my prayers. And yet, in practice, I find that that is sort of how I function. And I think it's because it would be nice if we could guarantee that our prayers would have the desired outcome. Like if we could do A plus B and get C, that would be very comforting. It would be great if we could blame our prayers, oh, I just prayed at the wrong time of day, and that's why it didn't work. And I can't speak for you, but I know that for me, more often than I care to admit, I pray because I want something or I need something. And that's a totally valid reason to pray, but I use prayer as my magic lamp. And I try to use my words and my postures to trick my genie God into giving me what I want. What about you? Do you or have you ever looked at prayer as your own personal genie in a lamp? You've been proud of yourself when it works? Yeah, I did it. I said just the right words or angry when it doesn't. Like, hey, I followed the rules. I followed the formula. Why didn't I get what I asked for? And if we do sometimes see prayer that way, if we see God as our genie, how can we combat that? That's what I want to talk about today. We're going to read two parables that talk about prayer, um, and we're going to learn about how we can undo that genie theology by answering six questions. I'm a teacher. I'm an English language arts teacher, so it's all about the six big questions. Who, what, when, where, why, and how. And I'm sure you're going, oh, great, six questions. That's going to take a long time. But those first four we're going to be able to answer very, very quickly. All right. So let's start by reading in the book of Luke, chapter 11. Um, if you're unfamiliar with the idea of parables in the Bible, the like bumper video that we saw kind of explained them. But they're basically just stories that Jesus told to help people understand the kingdom that he was bringing to bear. So the first parable we're going to read, uh, I'm calling it the unprepared friend. It's in Luke chapter 11, verses 5 to 8. So this is coming right on the heels of Jesus teaching his disciples the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then Jesus tells this parable. Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Several chapters later, in Luke 18, we read a very similar story, which we're going to call, or the Bible calls, the persistent widow. And this one says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. 
He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. So those are the two parables. And like I said, we're going to answer the who, what, when, where questions very quickly, right? In our stories, we have an unprepared friend and a persistent widow. The friend was in a situation of his own making. He hadn't baked his bread. Maybe he got caught up watching Ted Lasso or something, but he was not ready for whatever might come. It was his own fault that he was unprepared. The widow was in a situation that she didn't have any control over. Someone was doing something to her. But in this parable, both the person who made their own mess and the person who was dealing with someone else's mess are both lifted up as people who can and should pray. So that answers our basic question of who can pray, literally anyone. For the what, the unprepared friend was making an ask for someone else. He had a friend visiting, that friend needs food. The persistent widow was asking for something that she herself needed. Also, one of them was asking for physical needs. I need bread, I need food. And the other was asking for these much larger systemic needs. I need justice. This is in addition to the scores of parts of the Bible that talk about praying to thank God, praying to tell God how awesome he is, praying to confess things to God, praying just to tell God our feelings. When we consider all of those things together, it answers the question of what we can pray about. Anything. So how about when? The unprepared friend shows up at the worst possible time, right after everyone is hunkered down for the night and is all cozy and warm in bed. I don't know if you've ever had kids, watched kids. If someone rang my doorbell right after we got our baby to sleep, there would be consequences, severe and serious consequences, right? The widow is speaking to a judge. So not someone she knows personally or well. She has to kind of follow the right protocol. So she has to ask when it's appropriate, during the day, when he's working, when he's available. The unprepared friend only has to ask once, but the persistent widow has to ask over and over and over again. So at the worst time or at an appropriate time, once or over and over again, when can we pray? Anytime at all. And for where, I'm sure you're picking up on the pattern here, we can pray absolutely anywhere. The unprepared friend goes to the home of a friend. It's a safe place. It's a private place. It's a place where he doesn't need any formality, right? The widow is in public asking a judge in what is essentially a courtroom for something. It's a very formal space. So formal or informal, public or private, prayer is for anywhere. I understand how elementary all of that is, but I'm an elementary school teacher, so it fits. I think the first step in unraveling this theology of God as genie is really just to bring it back to those basics, right? There is no magic formula to prayer. There's no best time. There are no perfect words. There's no right kind of person. Anyone can pray about anything at any time, anywhere. And having that foundation is super helpful as we dive into the really, really hard question of why. Why do we pray at all? If God really isn't a genie and there's no perfect way to get what we want from him, 
What is the point? About six years ago, my brother-in-law collapsed at work with a stroke. He was 37 years old at the time. He'd had an aneurysm, he was in a coma, and the best neurologists in the world were telling my sister that even if he woke up, which they seriously doubted, he would likely never work again and never function again. I remember hearing that news sitting in the parking lot of an advanced auto parts in Glen Burnie and saying out loud to Trevor, what is the point of praying? Like, we already know what the outcome of this situation is. So Trevor went into the store to buy whatever part we needed and I bitterly and full of doubt with zero faith at all said, I guess just do a miracle, God. And that was my prayer. And God did. My brother-in-law woke up 10 days after being in a coma, was back to work fully fine within two months of that stroke. It was miraculous. And of course, I was and am thrilled and overjoyed and grateful. But all I could think at the time was, why this prayer? Why right now? How did this prayer get answered and other prayers do not? And maybe you've had a similar experience, like, what? What did I do right this time to get what it was that I wanted? Or maybe your experience is the polar opposite of that. Maybe you've prayed for something incessantly and earnestly, health or a partner, a child, some sort of provision, and it seems like you're praying for no reason because someone still died or you're still living paycheck to paycheck or you're still feeling alone. The seeming inconsistency with which some prayers are answered and others are not, for me, makes prayer extremely challenging. The truth is, I would much prefer if prayer was a formula that we could follow, so at least I knew if I did it right, I would get what I wanted. So the question then remains, if we can't guarantee our outcomes in prayer, if that's not what prayer is for, then why do we pray? Well, I see one big why in these parables. I just want to lay it out there. There are more. This is not the only reason that we ought to pray. But when we think about prayers that make asks or requests, the reason that we pray is not just to get what we want, but to get the Holy Spirit. Let's go back to our parables. In the unprepared friend parable, Jesus continues on after he tells the story, and this is what he says. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If you aren't super familiar with the Holy Spirit, or if it's like it is to me, kind of mysterious. The way that I think about it is just God has different expressions of himself. Like I'm Josie, but you're going to see different aspects of me depending on which role I'm filling. Teacher, mother, wife, friend. The same is true for God, right? There's God the Father. He's big, he's awesome. He makes the planets and the stars. And there's Jesus, who's the God who walked alongside us, who understands what it is to be human, who understands what it's like to have these brains. He's the side-by-side -side God. And then there's the Holy Spirit, which is what Jesus is talking about here. That's the peace of God that lives in us. He's the one that we have constant access to, the one that empowers us to live like Jesus said we should live in this kingdom. 
We can't physically see any of these expressions of God at this point in time, but we can know that the Holy Spirit is in us because we'll see certain evidence of it in our lives. They're called the fruits of the Spirit. And in Galatians 5, we read that they're love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So in this part of the parable, what we don't read is, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you whatever you ask him for? Instead, the Holy Spirit is called the good gift that God will give us when we ask, when we seek, when we knock, the metaphors for prayer. The parable of the unprepared friend tells us that we don't pray to get what we want then, not just to get what we want. We don't pray to get genie God to dance to our whims. We pray to get at the Spirit. And what might that look like? Because it's like, all right, well, I don't really know if I want that. That may be like when we pray, we have deeper access to love when what we're feeling is hatred, or joy when what we're feeling is despair. All of a sudden we have access to peace when we're racked with anxiety or forbearance or patience when it feels like everything is just too much. We get access to kindness when we're tempted to cut someone or diminish someone else. Goodness when we feel like we're rotten to our cores. Access to faithfulness when we struggle to believe. Gentleness when we are raging. Or self-control when all we want to do is give in. That's not to say that we shouldn't pray for what we or others need or want. In fact, later on we're going to find that we ought to. We're told to. And it doesn't even mean that we won't get what we ask for because we may. But that the point of prayer is not to finagle our words and do it just right and trick our genie God into giving us what we ask for. It's to get more and more of his Holy Spirit, to get deeper access to all of those internal things that we need to survive and thrive through these external situations that we're praying about. And I don't have the answers for why some of our prayers see external resolution and why some don't. And I don't at all want it to diminish the pain that that causes, the doubt that that causes. That is real. And I wish I could answer that question, but I can't. But I do believe that if getting our issues resolved stops being the only reason that we're praying, then we can stop seeing God as our genie and prayer as our magic lamp. There's another verse in the book of Romans that I want to highlight here because I think it's easy when we hear that, okay, God's going to give us the spirit to still go, okay, then what is the point? Why am I praying? But I think this verse really proves God's loving heart for us. We pray, we get access to the Spirit and all these amazing things that the Spirit can help us do. But then we read in Romans 8 that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So the why of prayer is because God wants to give us good gifts and the Holy Spirit is the best good gift. And when we pray and we get more and more of that spirit, when anyone does that, anytime, anywhere, that very same spirit is going to find the perfect words, the perfect way to say what we really need. So where we were worried about finding the perfect words ourselves to get exactly what we want or need, we can be free of that burden. We don't have to try to trick the genie. We can just come to God with any of our prayers, anytime, anywhere, and trust 
God will give us the spirit because he's a good father who wants to give us good gifts. And then the spirit is going to do all that hard work, finding the right words, giving us love, joy, peace. We pray to get the spirit and then the spirit helps us to pray. And that is our why. Which leaves us with just one more question out of those six. I promised you it would be fast. We know who, what, when, where, and we know a why, one reason why we pray. Now we have to ask how, okay? If there is no magic formula, then how are we supposed to pray? This is also where we're gonna start to land the plane. Sermon 101 tells you, give people something to walk away with, something to do, you know, when they leave the building. So I like to leave people with action steps, but there's really only one thing that these parables are telling us to do. And that step is just to ask. We have to ask. The unprepared friend parable says, ask and it will be given, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. We have to take the step and ask. It's really important that we open our needs and our hearts up to God and trust him with those things. At the end of the persistent widow parable in Luke 18, we read, do you hear what that judge, corrupt as he is, is saying? So what makes you think God won't step in and work justice for his chosen people who continue to cry out for help? Won't he stick up for them? I assure you, he will. He will not drag his feet. But how much of that kind of persistent faith will the Son of Man find on the earth when he returns? Coming to God shows that persistent faith. It shows that we trust his character. That even if we don't or haven't gotten exactly what we asked for, that we still believe that God wants good things for us that he will give us the good gift of his spirit and that he wants to and will work things for our good. So if that's the step, asking, how should we ask? I think there are three quick hows that we can find of like pull out of these parables. And the first how is with shameless audacity, right? Boldly. We see this phrase in the parable of the unprepared friend. It's actually the reason why I chose these parables. In the spirit of full disclosure, I did not realize these parables were about prayer when I chose them because I just liked this phrase so much. I was like, oh, I'm going to do these parables. So that was fun. Um, but also we're told that the persistent widow bothered the judge so much that he gave her what she wanted, right? These are the people, they're like my people. They're the people who have been told that they're too bold, they're too much. They're the people whose ex-boyfriends have said they should calm down and stop pursuing, you know. They're the ones who like go first when the buffet line opens. That's who the unprepared friend and the persistent widow are. And I can resonate with that. When we ask God for something, we should ask him shamelessly, boldly. In the book of Hebrews, we read, we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I think when we're trying to get something out of God, it can be scary to pray boldly because we kind of go through this loop in our head, or at least I do. <laughs> Dear God, please heal grandma because I really love her. But you know, only if you want to heal grandma, not if, if grandma shouldn't be healed, then don't heal her. I only want it if that's what you want. And then all of a sudden you're stuck in this loop where you're like, oh my gosh, I messed it up, right? If we're not worried about getting what we want, saying the perfect words to get the right answer, then it doesn't matter what we say. We can literally say anything. A friend of mine after the first service was like, oh, there's this psalm where David's just like, God, what on earth are you doing? Why are you doing this? But okay, I trust you anyway. Like we can pray at that level to God. 
And that leads to our second how. When we pray boldly, I think we also need to do it with persistence, right? And the, the parable of the persistent widow starts with the words, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So we may need to commit to asking God for something over a period of time, the same thing over and over, even if we feel like we're not seeing the answer to that prayer. Or maybe we've just sort of given up praying because we feel like we haven't seen answers. So maybe it's just the practice of coming back to God with everything we need to bring to him over and over again. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says pray continually. So this means when you are in the car, when you are making breakfast, when Baby Shark is playing for the 17th time in the background, we can pray at those times. We don't need fancy words. Just breathe a one-liner out to God and let his spirit do the rest. And then finally, I think when we ask, sometimes at least, we should try to pray with the words of other people. Not only does that connect us to like the larger church across the ages, but again, it frees us from that burden of saying the right thing, of finding the right words. Uh, right before the unprepared friend parable, Jesus teaches his followers the Lord's Prayer. And it says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. If you're stuck on what to say, you can say that, because the Spirit is going to do the rest of the work, is going to find the words that you're really trying to say. The same is true of the Psalms. It's like right in the middle of the Bible. It's basically a book of poem prayers. Um, and you may find the words that you're trying to say right in the pages of the Psalms. There's a book called the Book of Common Prayer, which are human written prayers, but they've been prayed by churches throughout the ages. And none of these words are magic, but if you're struggling with wanting to be perfect in prayer with that perfectionism, it may help to start with things that are already written and free yourself from some of that burden. This is a, a weird transition, but there's a movie called Bruce Almighty. <laughs> And it tells the story of a man who thinks that he can do God's job better than God. So God, who is Morgan Freeman, lets him. And at one point he's answering prayers, which in the movie all come in via email. And we can see a clip of Bruce just responding to all of these emails with yes, 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 you know. Later on in the movie, a friend of his named Grace is like, oh, did you hear our friend won the lottery? And Bruce kind of with pride is like, oh yeah, like, I know she won the lottery because I answered yes to all of the questions, to all of the prayers. And then Grace responds, yeah, well, she and about 400,000 other people, so she only won $17. I'm really glad that God isn't like a well-intentioned numbskull who's just like, yeah, yeah, sure, you can have what you want. I'll give that thing to you. I'm really glad that he's not a genie who has to say yes to the things that we ask or who can be tricked and deceived into giving us what we need. I'm glad that he wants us to have more than a $17 lottery bling, right? Anyone, anything, anytime, anywhere. And when we take that step and we pray with boldness and in faith, all of a sudden we are connected to the God who made the world, the God who walks beside us, the God who lives within us. And that God is giving us more and more of himself and working all things together for our good.
We're going to move into our time of communion. We've got four gluten-free stations all around the corners of the room here. And we take communion at the foundry every week because we want every week to remember what Jesus has done for us, his love for us, his sacrifice for us. The fact that we have access to the Spirit of God inside of us because of what Jesus did for us. So after you take the juice and the bread, which are symbols of his blood and his body that he gave up for us, we invite you to take a seat and with shameless audacity, boldly, come before a God who knows you, who loves you, who works all things together for your good, and spend a little bit of time in prayer. I'm going to pray briefly, and then we'll be dismissed to communion. God, you tell us in the book of Philippians that in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, we can present our requests to you, and that your peace, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Thank you so much for being a God who is for us and not just a genie who has to grant us our wishes. We pray together this morning with the saints and believers through the ages. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord.